I find myself struggling with authority at times. Maybe that's not totally true. I, I have no problem with authority as long as authority agrees with me. We have no issues until authority thinks something other than what I think or, or develops a policy other than the one that I would have developed. Um, right up until then, I have no problem uh, with authority. Uh, but I've observed just in the last week that um, everything from IRS letters uh, to Chipotle workers can cause authority issues to rise up in me. I mean, sure, just because my kid wants rice in his quesadilla means that I should pay for a quesadilla and a burrito. But, but they're the workers, right? And I'm just the customer. I actually noticed this as I was thinking about our, our Guatemala trip um, because uh, on this particular trip, we, we were with uh, one of the leaders we'd been with before, and he's very well known for how slow he drives. So, so we're on these uh, four-lane highways, and we are getting passed by everyone. We, we have hours to travel, and we're averaging about 45 miles an hour. Um, it is just killing me. So, so I made a joke when we stopped at the first stop. I told the other driver, hey, how about you get in front um, and then our driver will have to keep up with you. But obviously he has a better grip on authority than I do because he said, no, Manny is the boss. He drives in front. Yes, you are correct, sir. Uh, and, and you may find similar emotions and feelings rising up in you at times. It, it may be your boss or your supervisor at work. If you're a student, it may be your teacher. Uh, it could be your coach uh, that you have disagreements with about how they exercise their authority, the, the position that they are in. Or maybe for you, it's, it's your kid's teacher uh, that you have an issue with. It, it's your kid's coach uh, that you are taking issue with. Uh, the reality is that authority issues are ingrained in us, in our nature, and have been, uh, Scripture tells us, from the very beginning, uh, from the fall, when, when Adam and Eve were told that they could have everything they wanted in the garden except one thing. Uh, and then they chose that it was that, that one thing was the thing that they really wanted, that they wanted to go their own way, they wanted to be their own authority. And that's why every time you and I see a keep off the grass sign, we suddenly want to walk on that beautiful carpet of grass. Every time we see a don't touch sign, the, the first thing we think of is how much we would just love to tap the object uh, of that sign. Well, we are continuing our study in the book of Nehemiah, a study that's uh, entitled after a book written by Caleb Anderson called Favor with Kings. And this week we're gonna, we're gonna look at authority and, and we're gonna see that Nehemiah leveraged an important principle about authority. Uh, he leveraged an important principle in order to accomplish the plans and the purposes that God had put in his heart. And, and the important principle that Nehemiah leveraged is this. It's that favor comes from God. Right? Nehemiah understood that favor comes from God, but it comes through kings. Nehemiah understood that, that he was seeking God's favor, 
but that in his circumstances, in his plans, in the purposes that God had put on his heart, uh, that that favor would come through a king, through a person in authority, through a decision maker that was involved in his life. Uh, we see this reflected very clearly in Nehemiah's prayer, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, which we covered last week. Uh, in Nehemiah 1.11, Nehemiah prays, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, in the sight of King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah prays, you give me success, God. You grant me the favor that I need. But do it in the sight of this man. I'm going to need his blessing. Nehemiah understood that he was going to need the king's blessing in order to carry out what God had called Nehemiah to do. And the chances are that if you're going to do anything of significance in this life, if you're going to do anything of significance in this world, the chances are you are going to need someone else's blessing in order to be able to do that. Authority is everywhere around us. Do you want to have an education? Then you will have to come under the authority of a school and teachers. Would you like a higher education? You're going to be dependent on decision makers like the teachers who will write your references uh, and the people who are making decisions about your entrance. Do you want to play a sport? You will need the favor of your coach. Unless, of course, you're LeBron, and then you will tell them what coach you want them to hire. But until you're LeBron, you will need the favor of your coach if you want to play a sport, if you want the playing time that you want. Do you want a job? You'll need the favor of your employer. Do you want the scheduling you want? You'll need the favor of those decision makers. Do you want to get on an airplane? You will need to get the approval of TSA to let you on the airplane. And do you want to stay on the airplane? <laughs> Then I suggest you don't fly United. Unless, of course, you want to own an airline. Then by all means, fly United. But as we look at Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to see this important principle in action, how it played out in Nehemiah's life, how Nehemiah demonstrated his trust in the fact that favor comes from God, but that it will come through a king. So we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, in verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. We learned last week that Nehemiah's job was to be the cupbearer to the king, that he tasted the wine, he tasted the food to make sure that none of it was poisoned uh, and would kill the king. So he finds himself uh, bringing up the wine to the king. And it says, Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then Nehemiah says, 
I was very much afraid. We see the first thing that Nehemiah did. Last week, we saw that he prayed, uh, that the first best step in leadership, the, the first best step in carrying out the plans and the purposes that God is putting on your heart is to pray. Uh, so Nehemiah prayed and he waited. When we compare uh, chapter 1, verse 1 with chapter 2, verse 1, we find that he waited a period of four months from the time that he had received the news about Jerusalem until we find him here in this moment in chapter 2. Uh, Nehemiah waited. He, he waited for the right time. Uh, and based on my experience, based on the experience of many of you, uh, four months is getting off pretty easy sometimes. <laughs> Uh, a lot of times we wait years uh, for a vision to come to fruition. We wait years uh, for the desire of our heart uh, to be placed in front of us. And here, Nehemiah, uh, he prays and he waits. Why the waiting? Why do we so often have to wait? Because it's often in those times of waiting that God is at work. God is taking a vision that he has given us and he's maturing that vision in us. That it's a seed that's taking root. It's beginning to bloom and grow and blossom. The vision is maturing, it's changing, developing in us. And at the same time, if God is going to accomplish through us what he desires to accomplish through us, then I must mature as well. And you must mature for the vision that God has for you. So the vision matures in us, and God matures us for the vision, and all the while God is at work behind the scenes. For the last, over the course of the last five years, I've had the privilege to walk with three very close friends through some very difficult circumstances. Uh, they were thrown into positions that they didn't choose, uh, most of them by the changes in our economy and the market and the loss of jobs, uh, one by a divorce uh, and a separation that occurred. Uh, but all three of these men found themselves in situations that they had never planned for, uh, situations that they had never uh, desired, situations that they wanted to see change, things that they wanted to do, things that they wanted to accomplish. And it's interesting as I look back now, uh, where we stand today, all three of these friends are in different places. Uh, all three of these friends have seen how God was working behind the scenes. And not only working behind the scenes, but also at work in them, maturing them and maturing the vision that he had given them for their future, for God's desired future for them. Uh, so Nehemiah prayed and he waited, trusting God in the waiting. But that's not all he did. We also see that Nehemiah continued to work hard for the king. I find it interesting that in chapter one it talks about how deeply moved Nehemiah was. That he mourned, that he fasted for long periods of time. And yet we see in chapter two, verse one, Nehemiah says, now I had not been sad in his presence. In other words, at this moment, before the king, is the first time in four months 
that Artaxerxes has noticed anything different about Nehemiah. Uh, that for four months, Nehemiah, or Artaxerxes had noticed no change in attitude, no change in the amount of effort that Nehemiah was putting forth in the work that he was called to underneath Artaxerxes. Guaranteed, Nehemiah wanted to move. Guaranteed, he wanted to be doing now what God had called him to do. But Nehemiah understood that he needed to continue to work hard under the people in authority over him. Uh, that if he were to gain the favor of God through this king, that he must continue to work hard. And I believe that Nehemiah did so because he understood two things. First of all, that God is the one who places people in authority. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, uh, tell us that there is no authority on earth except that has been instituted by God. And that when we oppose authority that's been instituted by God, that we are in fact opposing God. However, if we do what is good and submit to that authority, we will receive the approval or the favor of those in authority over us. Now, you might say, <laughs> but you don't know my boss. That might be true for Nehemiah and Artaxerxes, but, but you don't know my supervisor. You don't know my professor. You don't know the situation that I find myself in. And I would say that you don't know Artaxerxes. <laughs> that, that your supervisor may be able to give you the axe, metaphorically. <laughs> Artaxerxes had the ability to give Nehemiah the axe, quite literally. And that's why we see that as soon as the king says, why are you sad? Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. If there was one thing that wasn't tolerated in the king's presence, it was a bad attitude. Uh, that if you were having a bad day, it was better that you just find someone else to replace you that day than appear in front of the king, appear in the king's presence with the wrong countenance, with the wrong attitude, with the wrong ideas about what was going to happen that day. And Nehemiah says the exact same thing, understands this, that he was very much afraid as soon as the king noticed that something was wrong. So Nehemiah understood that God puts leaders in authority, but he also understood this. Uh, he walked in faith in this principle, that God is in the business of changing hearts. That God is in the business of changing hearts. That Artaxerxes would require a change of heart if he was going to allow his cupbearer one of his trusted officials, to leave for months on end to go rebuild a, the city walls of a city that had been conquered previously. Uh, the book of Ezra indicates that this very king had perhaps already stopped work in Jerusalem prior to Nehemiah's request. So it was going to be significant, a significant change of heart required uh, for this uh, favor to be granted to him. Proverbs 21.1 tells us that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and that he turns it wherever he will. God is in the heart-changing business 
and Nehemiah believed that with all his heart. So we see that Nehemiah prayed and he waited. But he didn't just pray and he didn't just wait. He also continued to work hard under the authority that he was under. He did what he could do and allowed God to do what only God could do in the changing of the king's heart. In verses 3 through 8, we see the third thing that Nehemiah did uh, as he was in his waiting period, and that's that Nehemiah planned and prepared. He waited and prayed. He continued to work hard, and he planned and prepared. In verse 3, we see his response to the king. He was prepared for this moment, uh, the moment the door would open and he could make his appeal to the king. He had planned and prepared. When you're very much afraid in front of the king, the first thing you say is, let the king live forever. That's a good word. Why should not my face be sad? Uh, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, in other words, if this finds favor in your sight, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then I request that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, uh, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send Nehemiah when he had given him a time. And then Nehemiah makes another request, and, and he says to the king, If it pleases the king, uh, if this too finds favor in your sight, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. You see, when the time came, when the waiting window was coming to a close and the new window of opportunity opened, Nehemiah was prepared. He knew what he wanted. When the king said, what is it that you are asking? Nehemiah didn't say, I don't know. I mean, the city's all ruined, and I'd really like to see something different happen there, but I just, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's why I'm sad, but I don't, I don't know how anything could possibly change that. I mean, I've never worked in construction. I, I mean, I'm really good with wine and fine foods, <laughs> but I've never really done much woodworking or stonemasonry, and so I just, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know. I just, I wish it would change. No, Nehemiah knew what he wanted. Uh, Nehemiah knew 
what he needed. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. He believed that God was calling him to spearhead the rebuilding effort. That he was in a unique position. That he was the unique person that God was calling for this unique opportunity. Nehemiah had spent time thinking about what God had put on his heart. It was new territory for him. He probably tapped some resources, specialists in this, learned what he could learn. My guess is he had never traveled to Jerusalem. We have no reason to believe that he did. But he had had some brothers come from there recently. People knew what kind of documentation he would need in order to have the authority that he would need in the places that he was going. And he talked to people that knew exactly what kind of building materials he would need, where he could get them, and whose favor he needed in order to do all of those things. Sometimes the road isn't clear in the beginning, but as God matures the vision in us, and he matures us for that vision, we begin to see, and we can begin to work through the questions that are before us. A number of years ago, uh, I had been an assistant pastor at a, at a church down in Tucson. Uh, an assistant pastor in a position that didn't end up the way that I had, was hoping that it would end up. Uh, it was a bad ending. Uh, it was a hurtful ending. Um, and as much as I personally tried to run away from ministry uh, at that point in time uh, and had no desire to be in ministry, at that point in time, God had made it clear that that was not an option, uh, that ministry was in my future. I didn't know what was next. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like or, or even when it was going to happen uh, because the God in the business of changing hearts needed to start with mine before he started uh, with anyone else's. Uh, but I remember uh, catching my wife in the hallway. Um, I think she might have been pregnant with our fourth child at the time. Uh, and I said, I think I need to go to seminary. She had a shocked look on her face um, because the only seminary I had in mind at that moment was in Dallas, Texas, and we lived in Tucson, Arizona. And did I mention she was pregnant with our fourth child? And we probably had two in diapers uh, at the time. And um, I, I didn't know what was next. I wasn't even sure that I wanted what was next. But if what was next was coming, I wanted to be as prepared as possible for whatever that next thing was. And so I spent seven years in seminary and countless hours reading books, writing papers, talking, studying, learning from others asking questions, making observations, to be prepared for whatever was next. You know, Nehemiah couldn't see what God was doing behind the scenes. But he operated by faith. And he understood that he was appealing to a God that was in the business of changing hearts. Even the heart of a king 
like Artaxerxes. And he understood that while favor comes from God, it often comes through a king. That we, like he, need people in positions of authority to give us a blessing to do what God has called us and is preparing us to do. I don't know what God may be stirring in your heart. What purposes and plans. For Nehemiah, it was brothers returning from Jerusalem. It was the plight of his people that moved him in a way that God began to put a vision in his heart. But I don't know how God is moving in you. I don't know what he's showing you or, or opening your eyes to. I don't know if there's some kind of a purpose out there that is motivating you and matters to someone else that God would have you step into to build his kingdom or to serve the people in your community. Not just a service project, maybe a new business, maybe a new endeavor that meets the needs of people in some important and significant way that matters to you. So if you are praying and waiting, here's a good question to ask. What does God need to do in me in order to mature me for what he has for me? What does he need to do in you to mature you for the vision that he has for you? Don't be afraid to answer that question. It may be the thing that is waiting to be resolved before you step into that next thing. And if you are waiting, don't give up. Like I said, Nehemiah, Got off easy, four months. That's not bad. It's less than half a pregnancy. <laughs> Wherever you are, continue to work hard under the authority that you're under. What, what might it look like for you to honor those in authority today? What might it look like for you to, to change up your vision of the people in authority over you. To understand that God is in the business of changing hearts. And we can agree that it might be a master project of God for him to change the heart of the person that you are under. But God may be working on the hearts of others too that you don't know about. As he prepares you, he's likely preparing others as well. And how can you plan and prepare? What resources can you tap? What research can you do? Who can you listen to and learn from so that God can mature the vision in you, mature you for the vision, and prepare the way ahead of you? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for stories like that of Nehemiah uh, that testify to your goodness 
and your grace over those who seek to serve you, uh, who seek to follow you, and want to figure out how to walk in the vision that you have put on their hearts. I pray for all of us here today that we would have our ears open to what you're saying to us today and in the days to come. Uh, That we would look at ourselves and ask what needs to be done in us as we pray and wait, as we plan and prepare. And we'll give you all the glory. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.